Jesus. And all to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give and I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live and I surrender all I surrender all all to Thee my blessed Savior I surrender I surrender all I surrender all I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior I surrender all I surrender all Say that one more time, I surrender all I surrender all. Amen. Father, this morning, Lord, we're here to surrender all to you, Lord, and um, just speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, open up our minds, our hearts. Uh, give us ears to hear, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I realize that uh, today is Mother's Day. But uh, I don't have a Mother's Day message for you, okay? You've probably heard them all anyway. But i tell you what I want you to do. I want you to, if you were here last week, we began looking in Luke chapter 18. And I want to invite you to go back there this morning. I hope you brought the Bible with you. And I want to invite you to, to, to look again with me in Luke chapter 18. Uh, Stu, would you turn? I'm sorry, dude. I know you like it. There you go. That helps me, man. I... I can't see people's eyes, and I want to be able to do that because, Andrew, if you begin to nod off, I'm going to call and ask you to stand and pray, so, you know, you know, amen. Luke chapter 18, um, let me tell you, gang, I actually thought that the message that I shared last week as we began to look at the passage would be one sermon, but God has really kind of gripped my heart. He, in a sense, has captured my heart with some of the words that Jesus has given to us in Luke 17 that we really were at last week, Luke 18 this week, and, and even next week. He's consumed my heart. He won't let me go with it, and so I, I just feel like we need to stay right, right where we're at, okay? Um, we looked more into la chapter 17 last week leading up to chapter 18 in the parable of the unjust judge. As we, as we began to, to dig last week, some things really began to impress upon me. And in fact, the events of this week uh, has really just borne into my heart. So um, I want you just to hang with me, okay? I want you to take your Bible. I want you to open up to Luke 18. And I just, I kind of want to talk through the first part. And then we're going to be looking at chapter 18, verse 1 today, next week a little bit more. The one thing that, that we found last week 
is that as Jesus was, as Luke recorded what Jesus was saying in 17, Jesus was talking about that time toward the end of all time when the Son of Man would return, right? You remember that? I pointed out to you last week that, that Jesus referenced the days of Noah and the days of Lot. We know from recording of Scripture, and we know from Christian history, what kind of days those were. They were cataclysmic days of incredible wickedness. We, we talked a little bit about that. That Jesus says that in the days when he comes back, it's going to be days that are reminiscent of the days of Noah and the days of Lot, bad days, days of wickedness and increasing wickedness, days when people's heart toward God grows cold, when we would see things that we would never think we would ever see in the destruction of lives and in the destruction of homes, when People will kill people for no reason at all, simply to satisfy something going on in their life. And we, we talked about that. And I mentioned to you last week, gang, we are there. The days of Noah and the days of Lot are upon us. And we need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge that and Dear people, you need not only to address it, but you need to shake that out in your life. And then I said this, and this is what really, I think, grabbed me about the words of Jesus. We know it was, it was times of unbridled corruption, upheaval in values, indifference to God. But Jesus, when he dealt with it, didn't really talk about those major, major sins. He talked about it being a day. In ordinary life, normal life, when people just jettison God out of their life. And I have to tell you, that's what's bugged me. All the last two weeks studying the passage... Again, this week studying the passage, what really gripped my heart and what I somehow, and I may be a little redundant, but what I want to say to you again today, dear people, dear young dads and dear young moms, you cannot jettison God out of your life. You might, we might as a nation could have got away with it 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. But now is not the day, now is not the age where God becomes optional. And I said to the first service today, and I guess I want to just kind of take a hammer and bing you upside the head today. Your children, your grandchildren need to see you follow heart and heavy, passionate in pursuit of God. 
today's the day that it has to happen in your family, has to happen in our nation. And if we don't come back to the things of God, faithful things of God, then why would God not move against us if he moved against the world in the days of Noah and if he moved against the world in the days of Lot? Why would he not do that, you see? Little did I know that as God stalled me in this passage, little did I know that the President of the United States, little did I know that the Vice President of the United States of America attempt to tear down the very fabric of our society and shake their fist at Almighty God, and even call in the name of Jesus in doing it. I'm telling you, young people, you better get your thinking together with regard to God. I'm telling you, grandpas, you better lead your family to be faithful to the things of God. Never was a time more needed. Y'all young people, I wish I could call you guys up and gals up and sit you on the front, open your mouth, and pour into you my heart. Because if you don't get your act together, daddies, if you don't get your act together, then our nation will not function as it's always functioned. The Judeo-Christian ethic that's always driven America is in serious jeopardy. In the Bible, at the beginning of the Bible, here is what God said. He created them, male and female, God created them. You hear me? I think it was Adrian Rogers before he died said, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's God that did that, gang. Listen, it's not that we're mean toward those who have chosen another path and want to say, God made me that way. That's wrong. It's not that we're to shoot them. It's not that we are to, to hurt them. It's not that we are to even die on the battlefield for their life. It is that we're to stand for God. And we are to stand for the Word of God. And we have jettisoned the Word of God. We have taken the very fabric of our society and Little bit by little, I called it erosion last week. We're setting aside that which has always been the foundation. The Bible says that Eve was a helper suitable for Adam. You know what that means? It means a counterpart opposite. Now, again, you don't have to be smart to know that men and women are different. Huh? It's not rocket science here, is it? Right? And you have to understand that they're made for each other. Two become one. Two ones don't make one. That's two, you see. And yet, today in the society, the leadership of our country is challenging the very intention of God's holy word, and it seems that we just let it happen. And we cannot do that. Oh, dear people, we cannot do that. We just cannot do that anymore. You see, therefore, you don't, you, you, you cannot 
be optional when it comes to God. You can't do that. I'm not saying you don't need a vacation. I'm not saying you have to be at church every time the doors are open. I understand my heart. What I'm saying is that you cannot be optional, and people who are close to you, people you love, need to know that you're not optional when it comes to the things of God. You understand that? Is that amen or oh me, you know? Okay, now, in Luke 18, the question comes up, all right, well, then what do we do then, Tom? If, if you've outlined the days of Noah and if you've outlined the days of Lot and it seems to be that you may be right here and there's, there's a, a rising of major wickedness but there's also a sliding of normal God-centered life, what do we do then? How do we deal with it? Well, I just believe in Luke 18.1, that was Luke's intention of writing it down and I believe that was what God desired so that Jesus could tell a parable. And we'll deal with the parable a little bit more next week. Now, I know you've been up a lot, but I'm not about to read God's Word without standing up. So let's do that, okay? I mean, I don't think it's on the level of other things, but I don't want him to zap me. I'm teasing. All right, now look at Luke 18. Having said what Jesus said in Luke 17, okay? Now, he was telling them a parable to show, and, and here it is, at all times, they ought to circle that. Number one, they ought to pray. And I want to talk to you about prayer today. And then secondly, and encircle that, not lose heart. Put number two there. So Luke says the reason Jesus was telling them a parable is because as the days are wicked and get increasingly wicked, there's two things that are not optional for us, gang. And that is that we pray and that we not lose heart. And that led into a, a, a parable of why. Why do we pray? Why do we not lose heart? And here's the parable we'll explore next week. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God, and he didn't respect men. man. There was a widow in the city. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while, he, he was unwilling. Afterward, he said, even though I don't fear God or respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her, give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she's just going to wear me out. Now, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Will not God? Bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I will tell you what he will do. He will bring about justice for them quickly. And then he asks this question, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Father, help me today in these next few moments to share, God, what you're burning my heart with and make it burn God to the to my people take it and pour it Holy Spirit drill it into their heart because they need to know what it is these verses say in Jesus name amen thank you be seated all right now what does Luke say that the reason Jesus gave the parable well first of all he says so that God's people will always pray. The main word for prayer 
that's used in the Bible is this word here, okay? It's a word prosukamai. It's a word pros, it's a, which means to, to forward, to, to bend forward. And it's one of the words for worship. So what, what, what this word means is that we bend forward and you know, prayer is actually worship to God. But now listen to me for a moment. Every religion prays to their deity, don't they? What then makes the Christian prayer unique? Well, I want you to know that I believe that Christian prayer is somewhat mysterious. We're calling upon a sovereign God who has a sovereign plan that will sovereignly come to pass, and yet in our praying, gang, there's a mystery there, and it can be complicated. Pagan prayers, prayers of false religions, and that's religion is how us try to get to God, and so everybody's religious in a sense. Everybody is, has got this stirring within them to, to worship. Therefore, everybody's got within them this, this idea of prayer. And, but, but those who are false religions, are called pagan religions, their prayers are not very complicated. Now listen to me. They're pretty simple. False religions pray as part of a transaction. They attempt to bend the will of their deity so they can get whatever they want. Their prayers always involve bargaining. By the way, let me tell you something, gang. If your prayer, when you pray to God, and I know you do, so if your prayer to God is some form of a bargaining, then you're praying a pagan prayer. Huh? I mean, like, you know, God, if you will um, give me a new car, I will not miss Sunday school for six months. Now, that sounds okay on the face of it, but you know what that is? That's a pagan prayer. Let me, let me just give you a personal example. I, uh, I got my four-wheeler stolen last week. Somebody, yeah, some jerk, broke into my camp, took a hacksaw and cut through the chain and stole my four-wheeler. Now, I went through the, all the emotions, you know, give me a gun, Annie, you know, the whole thing. But here's, there was a point in my prayer after I said, sick him. I said, God, if you'll get my four-wheeler back, I'll give you praise for that. And all of a sudden, it hit me. That's what I'm studying. That's not a good prayer. You see, every pagan prayer is a prayer of some kind of negotiating tool. God, I'll do this if you'll do Somehow, God, I will do all these things if you'll give me your favor, some kind of an exchange or bribing or manipulation. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's uncomplicated. There's no worship there. It's just a transaction. Transaction. Again, when God's people pray, we have to understand that we can't manipulate God. That God is sovereign and God is righteous. God doesn't need anything. It's his nature to be who he is. He needs nothing from us. Therefore, there's nothing that we can offer to God to convince him to move to our side. His agenda is not to accommodate us. We find that as we pour our heart out before God and as we begin to pray to God, he begins to change our heart and we get to understand where he's coming from. So maybe prayer and worship, and let me just put it together, maybe prayer worship then is actually moving to his side. Maybe it's being welcome 
into his presence, which is holy and just. Maybe prayer worship forces us to look at life from his perspective according to his word and not the culture and not the pressures of the culture that's all around us, especially if that culture stinks of Noah and that culture stinks of Lot, especially if that culture is systematically removing the only objective standard of truth as ground zero for life. And beloved, that's the word of God. Now Jesus is going to show us in this parable that prayer is not determination alone. Prayer is not devotion alone. Listen to me. Prayer, there's a part of it that's determination in there. There's a part of it that's devotion. But listen, pagans do that. When Muslims pray, do they pray with determination? Yeah, gang, far more than us. Well, how many times a day? Three, four times a day? They fall before God. There's determination. Do they pray in devotion? Boy, you bet. But what makes the distinction? It can't be just determination. That ought to be part of it. It can't be just devotion. That's part of it. I want to tell you that when Christians pray, and the more Christians pray, it becomes dependence. We, we surrender up to God, who he is, and the more we keep praying and surrendering up to God, the more we get on God's terms. And the more we get on God's terms, the more God changes our life. You see, this widow in the parable that we read about, she came to this judge. There was no relationship there. But she went to the one who she knew could answer. She came believing that the unjust judge could answer. That's determination. Might answer that's devotion, but must answer, that's dependence. And gang, I'm telling you this, that in a world that's hostile to the things of God and in a world that seems to be growing more and more hostile to the things of God, if there's one thing that marks a believer in Jesus Christ, that our prayers are not in order to get something. Our prayer is a prayer of utter dependence upon God for who he is, that his name may be glorified, and that in all things we will follow him. I want to tell you, prayer gets us outside of pressure. Prayer gets us outside of culture. Prayer gets us inside. Of God. And so Luke says we ought to pray. The second thing he talks about, not just prayer, he talks about persistence. Notice he says in verse 1, they ought to pray and then not lose heart. Now I mentioned to you last week, I think, that this phrase, not lose heart, is a very, very specific and strong phrase. In other words, there's power in, in persistence. There's power when we persistently follow after God. The proof of truth is born in the heart of God's chosen people as they persist in righteousness. Let me tell you something, gang, about perseverance. Perseverance 
is what we are called to do when we live in a culture opposed to God. But perseverance is the mark of those who are called by God, who are regenerated by the Spirit of God, and that they are consistent with the things of God. My concern as a pastor, it seems that, 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 that there's not a lot of perseverance going on. Today. Gang, I, I, 16 years I've been here. We've got a, we've got a name book that's, that's thick. And I, I look around, and, 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 and you look around. Look on your Sunday school rolls. Half the people came through at some point, but they're no longer here. Why is that? Perhaps they're not saved because they don't persevere in the faith. God's people persevere. Now, the phrase that's used here means to consecrate your life. It means that every day the priority of your life is God and His glory, which is the height of what true worship is all about. It's the ultimate expression of worship. Do you remember when in the Bible, Joshua, Moses had died, and Joshua was, was getting ready to lead his people into the promised land, okay? And he goes through the camp, and he says to them this. He says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The word, the word consecrate that he used in the Old Testament means to clean up your act. In the New Testament, these words literally mean don't give in to evil. Don't give in to the bad. Don't become a coward. It, it's, a, it's a compound word, and it's a preposition in, which indicates a position and the word kakos, which is evil. And so what Luke is saying to the disciples, and what Luke is writing for all of us, is that if you're going to exist and live in a day like Lot's day, or in a day like Noah's day, prayer has got to be a very important part of your life. But you cannot give in to evil. God has to be paramount in your life regardless of the culture, regardless of what a president says or a vice president says or a justice might rule or a congress might vote, regardless of what your neighbor may do, regardless of how the world may operate, we who have been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus, we don't give in to that kind of thinking. And we don't give in to that kind of philosophy. And oh, beloved, we are to be found faithful on that day when Jesus comes, a day like the days of Lot and the days of Noah. Now, let me, let me wrap up. Let me just kind of pull it together if I can, and then, then I'll be through, okay? When a person lives in a Noah and Lot culture, what do we do? We pray and surrender, and we live for him in his glory with the strength that he gives. Why do we do that? Well, we'll look at the parable next week. The reason we do is because God is just. 
The parable is going to teach us that God is a just and a holy and a righteous God. And gang, I want to submit to you something. That if this world is going the way it's going, and I've been called to prayer and persevere, okay? Because I know that God is a just and holy and righteous God. And that God will not only hear my prayer, but God will respond in his time. The word quickly or speedily doesn't mean immediately there. We'll talk about that. But if I know God's hearing me, and if he knows that I'm, I'm not giving in to evil, then the whole idea is that a just, holy, righteous God will not only hear me, but God will respond to that. God will answer that. Remember something. Remember that there must be a God factor operating in your life. Or you're going to be blown about by every wind that comes along in an increasingly evil culture that is opposed to God and his word. I want to submit to you something. I want to submit to you that the God factor in my life ought to affect everything in my life. It ought to affect how I live. It ought to affect how I, how I spend my money. It ought to affect how I vote. It ought to affect how I treat other people. It ought to affect my faithfulness to my family. It ought to affect my faithfulness to my church. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If there's a God factor at work in my life, if there's a God factor operating in my life, it ought to affect, it ought to be pervasive in my heart. It ought to affect everything in my life, and it ought to affect how I respond to that which is important to God. The God factor just can't be optional today. Now, I'm not saying, gang, listen, listen to my heart. I'm just trying to be a pastor who's trying to figure this out. I'm not saying you go to hell if you don't go to church. But I am saying if you don't go to church, you may be going to hell. You know what I'm saying, don't you? You understand what I'm getting at? I'm not saying you go to hell because, I don't know. I'm saying you may go to hell if God's not. I know, you're not going to hell if God's not priority in your life. I, that, I think that's fair enough. Joshua. He, led those, he told them to clean up their act, consecrate themselves. He led them in. They, they got into the promised land, and some things went well, some things didn't go well. You know the story if you've read Joshua, okay? They were slow conquering, weeding out a lot, okay? So at the end, Joshua is now an old man. And Joshua said, gang, he told the people, he said, you've got to choose. Today, you've got to choose. He said, now here's your options. He said, you can choose the gods where we came from. And there was a lot of foreign gods where they came from. He said, your fathers did that. Now, you can go do that if you want to, okay? He said, secondly, he said, you can choose the gods that are all around us. They were in a, a pagan land. They had not conquered the promised land wasn't heaven. It's victorious living in pagan land. 
okay? And so he said, you can choose what your dad's, or you can choose the gods all around us. And man, it's every, they're everywhere. Choose if you want to. But then Joshua looked at the people and he said, let me tell you, you choose this day who you're going to serve. Me? My house? We're going to choose God. Now, listen, the choosing of God is not a word that you speak. The choosing of God is not a feeling you feel. Choosing God is solely, passionately, in pursuit of him that affects not just your attitude, but your actions. C.S. Lewis, a, a, a wonderful, wonderful Christian uh, philosopher of years gone by, said this. He says, now is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. He said it won't last forever. Take it or leave it. Gang, I wish I was smart like C.S. Lewis. I wish I could write like C.S. Lewis. I wish I had the ability of, 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 of apologetic, which is defense of the gospel things. I'm just an old preacher that lost his four-wheeler. I wish I had the ability to help you understand this is critically important for your home and your family. I don't want to be over dramatic, but I believe what happened this past week is a telltale sign of what's going on in our nation. And I believe the people of God have to stand up and be counted and choose the things of God. Now, if you want to go another direction, go. I understand. But when that day comes, you remember this day. You remember that there was opportunities that God gave to us to gather our families like a chicken, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. When daddies would stand up for the things of God and mothers would bring forth the sweetness of God and, and the family unit would be, would be uh, strong for God and, and all this other junk wouldn't have sway in our lives. That daddies would be daddies, that mama would be daddies. And the church, I'm not talking about Indian Springs, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ today would be the common denominator in the worship, in the praise, and the study, and the support of God. I believe, dear people, with all of my heart, I believe it's that critical. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. I believe it's critical times. But I also believe the greatest opportunities, along with it, are right in front of us. Choose you this day. You choose. Stand by, Joshua said. Clean up your act. Stand by. Watch the wonders of God. Well, let's pray together, okay? Stu's going to come, and we're going to have a time of response. I don't know what God has said to you. Maybe nothing. Uh, maybe something. Maybe 
You just need to deal with it right there where you're at. Maybe you need to come and deal with it here in front. Maybe you have some other decision. We're going to be here. We'll pray with you. We'll help you. Um, if you want to join, we'd love to have you. If you want to give your life to Christ, then that would be the thing. Father, I love you. What a great time to live. What a great, challenging time, Father, to live. May the people of God arise. May we march under the banner of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we not be afraid to stand, with love, of course, but stand, and say, you know, according to the Bible, some things are right, some things are wrong. I stand with what is right. If it means my death, so be it. I'll die right. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand together. If you have a decision, we invite you to come. Take up thy cross and follow me.